The scripture reading for tonight is from the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. The word of the Lord. Verses from the epistle reading were implanted in my brain when I was a child. I don't mean to make it sound like some nefarious authoritarian force programmed me or anything like that. Just Sunday school. I memorized them. What got to me most about these words was this puzzling suggestion that we could boast, weird word, in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint. But boast wasn't really how I remembered it really, like bragging or something. It was more like you could be glad, you could feel okay if you suffered because it was doing something good in you. I also remember very well the next verse in the Roman sequence, for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Anybody else? It was quite a popular one to memorize. What's weird is I don't remember this beauty, which suggests it's all because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. I don't usually preach from the epistle, but because these words were so embedded in my psyche, I wanted to think about them from where I am now, as a grown-up, as someone on this side of life, after having experienced so much more than I had at 12 or 8 or whenever it was. From where I am now, I feel much freer to ask, is it true? Really? Does suffering produce endurance? And does endurance produce character? And what is meant by this character? Superman? Winnie the Pooh? And does character produce hope? What do you think? Or maybe, or maybe this is the kind of thing we're meant to trust more than evaluate. God's love has been poured into our hearts no matter what we think of it and the pouring is complete, or at least in process? Do you feel it? But even if you don't quite feel it, it remains true. I mean, I can try to trust that. That seems beautiful to trust that. But I still have some questions. It's Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday always follows Pentecost Sunday. And I think the reason that Romans 5, 1 to 5 shows up this week in the lectionary today is because in five short verses, Paul mentions God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, which is cool. 
But it's not the thing that seemed most, I don't know, like pressing to me about these verses. It was this whole suffering thing. Also translated tribulation, troubles, afflictions, that's what stood out to me. Probably because, well, maybe this is the way it always is, but it feels like the suffering is more intensely pressing in from all sides these days. Because almost six and a half million people have died so far in the pandemic, because Buffalo, Uvalde, fires, floods, droughts, the impending dissolution of democracy. Because things look different than they did when I was 12. Maybe I thought I knew what suffering was when I was 12. I was sort of a angsty, melodramatic pre-adolescent, to be honest. But actually, I don't mean to disparage little Debbie by saying that. I mean, I believe Buddhism's first noble truth. It seems true to me. Life is suffering. Or dukkha in Sanskrit, which has a more complex and nuanced range of meaning. Life is stressful, uneasy, dissatisfying. It seems like all you have to do is observe and not really even all that carefully to know that that is true. I mean, we come into the world crying. Our very first taste of life is painful. Birth is painful. And if you're not crying at birth, you're quite likely not alive. It seems pretty obvious to, obvious to me that there's no way to be alive without experience pain. I mean, of course, there's beauty and there's satisfaction and there's happiness and ecstasy and gratitude and so many wonderful things, too. But being a conscious mortal with microscopic pain receptors all over our skin and a central nervous system and inevitable death, we will experience pain. Some people might suggest at times that if you're a white, cis, middle-class, educated, somewhat healthy person in the United States of America, you can't really speak of suffering because you have no idea. But that doesn't seem right to me. Privilege is enormously determinative, but it doesn't keep people from suffering no matter how much money, success, fame, fortune you have. I think we all know that. Though strangely, sometimes people seem to delude themselves into thinking it's possible to avoid it. That seems not very wise. In the past couple of years, that life is suffering has seemed terribly obvious to me, near and far. Last week, Jim's dad suffered a massive stroke, and though he remains thoroughly cognitively intact, the prognosis is not good. The doctor said there's not much to be done at this point. His heart will fail in days or weeks. And Jim's dad is scared. He doesn't want to die. He's suffering. Not so much physically as psychically looking into the face of death. In the last two years, I saw my mom crawl into her bed many times crying. I just want to go home. Why won't anyone let me go home? But she was home in the same house she'd lived in for 45 years, but there was nothing in her in some moments or anything anyone could do to ease her sense of being lost 
and alone and afraid. Things could change in an hour. We might sit on the patio and listen to birds, but I saw my mom suffer. I could tell you many more chilling tales of dementia. And it broke my heart. I know some of you have lost the ones you've loved. You've, you've seen people you care about in physical and emotional pain over and over. Paul writes, we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God, and not only that, but we boast in our suffering. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, well, I know for certain that some suffering does not produce endurance and does not produce character. It just ends in death. My mom, the children killed in Uvalde, they suffered, I'm sure. Can you imagine fourth graders? And then they died. There was no opportunity for the suffering to produce endurance or character. And that's true a bazillion times over in wars, poverty, end of life. So I don't know. I don't know what to think of Paul's assertion. I want it to be true that we have peace somehow in the depths of our being, that, that hope doesn't disappoint because God's love has been poured and poured to the very, to the very brim into our hearts. But I'm not sure if suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. For a moment I thought, well, maybe I should try to think of all the individuals I've known who have suffered much, and would I make like columns? Like, okay, who endured and grew in character, and who didn't? But it didn't take long to realize what a graceless exercise that would be. And how would I judge those individuals anyway? And then it struck me. Ah, individuals. Maybe that's the thing. Paul isn't writing to individuals that you could sort into columns. He's writing to a group of people bound together in aggregate. He's writing to a whole community, the church. There's no me and I. There's only we and us and the plural, you. And as hard as it is, as 21st century inhabitants of the United States of America, not to think in the individualistic terms, this is probably a place where it just doesn't work to think in those terms at all. But it's hard to see outside of a way of knowing and perceiving that has been so thoroughly embedded in our consciousness. This belief in the primary importance of the individual, the virtues of self-reliance and personal independence, the idea that each person should think and act independently rather than depending on others, the principle that the single person is more important than the group and that people should work and own things for their own advantage. I mean, whether or not we meant to pledge our allegiance to the United States of America and the neoliberal capitalism on which it stands. We live and breathe individualism. The ultimate triumph of the idea of individualism 
is that it's not really seen as an idea at all. It's accepted as simply the way it is. But that just isn't true. There's an intimate connection between the ideology of individualism and the success of capitalism with its emphasis on the sanctity of private property and ownership, the privatization of the commons and all its manifestations, the success of this economic system has depended on the populace having individualistic values. But one thing about the Christian tradition, about the truth that it attempts to point to is, it is pretty firmly, or, or better, dynamically, rooted in relationship. Rooted. I mean, that's probably not even a very good way to talk about it. It is all relationship, interconnectedness. When you think, and it doesn't even have to be that deeply about it, it's pretty weird that we could ever believe in anything other than our utter interrelatedness. It's not some mystical thing, although maybe it's that too. It's like, what could be more obvious? We're conceived through relationship, a sperm and an egg. We wouldn't learn to walk or talk without others teaching us. We are utterly dependent on others bringing us into existence. And we are utterly dependent on a bazillion other things to keep on existing. There is no such thing as an unrelated self. Our cells can't possibly survive on their own. They need glucose and minerals and oxygen. How could we? We need food, we need water, we need gravity and air. We are part of an intricate web of interrelated life. We need each other. We simply are not independent beings. It's good for capitalism to pretend that we are, but we aren't. And what's more, and this strikes me as quite beautiful, neither is God. According to the Christian witness, there is no God in God's self. There is the Trinity. The very being of God is relationship. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, or if that seems too masculine, the parent, the child, and the spirit, the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer, circulating love. God's greatness isn't at all about one individual being above all others. God's greatness is love. So, okay. It might seem like I purposely set things up this way so that I'd start out talking about one thing, suffering, and then I'd end up talking about the Trinity because it's Trinity Sunday. But seriously, I didn't plan it that way. Although I do like that's how it unfolded for me. When I was first going through the lectionary reading and landed on Romans 5, 1 through 5, the Trinity didn't seem that relevant to me. But it became practically the only thing that could help me make sense of what Paul was asserting. There's not really a solitary individual anywhere in play. Suffering leading to endurance, leading to character, leading to hope sounds to individualists like the hero's journey or something. The great person faces danger, combats adversity, endures suffering, strengthening their character to be good and noble, 
character. Sounds like such an individualistic thing to individualists. But Paul wasn't that. Paul was a Jew. Everything was about community, the aggregate. And for him, the revelation of Christ, it just made that community bigger, included more. The we became everyone, all. And the total takeover of everything by neoliberal capitalist individualism wasn't really a thing yet. The character that Paul's talking about is the character of the community. We hold together. We endure together. We hold each other up in our suffering. And the character that that produces is love. And that love creates hope. I believe that. I've known it. I've seen it. Suffering isn't something we do alone. No matter how alone we might think we are, no matter how alone we might feel, God is with us so thoroughly in our breath, as close as the pulse in the vein of our neck, draws near to us in our brokenness. That's what the Jesus story is about. God with us, for us, never leaving us alone. And the gift that the spirit of the Trinitarian God the circulating love God gives us is communion, relationship, the capacity for love. The revelation of the Trinity is that God is essentially relationship, alive as passionate love. So the gift of the Spirit is then essentially relational, alive as passionate love. It's not like the Spirit is going around gifting individuals with heroic courage or super strength. The Spirit gives us love. It isn't, on one, it isn't on one person, on an individual believer, to endure suffering, to improve their character. It's something we do with God and with each other because the love of God has been poured into our hearts. We endure hard things of all varieties together somehow. We feed the hungry, we console people who are sorrowing, we care for the sick and the dying. And when people we love die, we come together in the midst of pain. And I've seen it so many times, the love flows. We endure together. And in doing this, the community gains the character of love. And seeing that love gives us hope. That totally feels true to me. And this, will help, this hope won't disappoint because love endures forever. Love is greater than death, even though it's hard to understand what that quite means. Boast in our suffering, it takes on a different quality when you're not thinking of individuals. The community, the church confesses, life is hard. Maybe for some more than others, we do not pretend otherwise. People suffer and die. And we get through it together because we have love that God has poured into our hearts. A love that's greater than death. That love liberates us from the grasp of death, which seems so ultimate, but is no match for the creative love of God. Remember that. It's why we do this together every week. 
I hope that you feel the hope and the love and the peace. But you know what? Even if you don't feel it, you will be receiving it. Mm-hmm.